welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, thanks, Ben, for being a guest on the podcast. I appreciate it. Um, I get this will be kind of a, a neat opportunity for me just to get to know you better because I see you all the time, but um, never have really gotten into um, you know an in-depth conversation or anything like that with you. Sure. So, um, just how has things been for you in general lately? In general, lately, uh, everything's been pretty good. Um, Dana ended up totaling her car, so we got to figure that out now, but you know. Oh, really? When did that happen? That was last Wednesday. She had a green light and someone had a yellow to turn left out in front of her, and they did turn left out in front of her, so. Yeah. And, um, then she just plowed right into him, I guess, huh? Yeah. Yeah, there wasn't a lot that could be done there, but the police report said it was all his fault, so we're okay on it. It's just paperwork and she's okay yeah she's fine that's good um well what would you know if you were going to introduce yourself um well how old are you just to start off with uh 20 20 okay well if you were going to we're going to introduce yourself and just kind of uh say something about just um you know the type of person you are and how would you put it like if I was just to introduce myself, well, I'm Ben. Uh, I'm a machinist. Went to school to be a machinist, and now um, an actual degreed machinist. I work up at HJ Enterprise in High Ridge. Uh, I like building cars, building motorcycles, building go karts, anything that goes fast. Uh, married to Dana Caranda. That's about it. Okay. Ain't a whole lot to me. And then, are you also teaching machine stuff? That is correct. I do teach Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday down at Jeffco at do you, night. Do you enjoy that? I do enjoy it. Um, some of it's a little rough. You can tell there's a lot of people that are just there to be there, and they like to just see how difficult they can make things. So that kind of drags on it. But for the most part, I actually enjoy it quite a bit. And um, so, are so some people they're not there because they want to learn and correct, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do they want, what do they want? Do they want to be a machinist? A lot of people get sent there from their work. Their work pays mm-hmm. and they call it some kind of skills advancement thing. Mm-hmm. They don't actually want to be there, mm-hmm. but they don't have to be at work. Mm-hmm. But they don't, they still get paid, but they're not at work and they just like to mm-hmm. just see how difficult they can make the whole thing. So, what kind of product are you producing? in your machine shop where you work? Where I work, we make high-voltage insulators. So it's, for anyone who wouldn't know what that is, it's when you look up on a telephone pole, the big gray cones with all the discs on them, we make those. Specifically, I work in the department where we make the molds that make them because they're actually made on an injection mold press. They're made out of a uh, ceramic epoxy. Mm -hmm. But I work in the tool room where we don't really make the new ones as much. It's more of when they break the old ones, they send them over, and we got to figure out how to fix them and make the new parts or if they have to modify it for somebody or something like that. So every day it's a little bit different, but it takes a lot of outside-the-box thinking. Hmm. Okay. 
like when I think of machine machine work, I think of machine shop like in high school yeah. with um, lathes and yeah. grinders. Is, is that the type of thing you're working with? Yeah, we run. Um, we have the CNC ones that are all computer controlled, and then we have all the old ones. But we have lathes, we have mills, we have grinders, surface grinders, all kinds of stuff. Hmm. Okay. But I do a lot of programming up there as well for the uh, the computer ones, the CNC machines. Hmm. I do a lot of programming for that. So you're working with um, computer code type of language? Yeah, it's uh, G-Code and CamCAD. Okay. So I don't enjoy that portion near as much. I like doing the hands-on Mm-hmm. manual stuff and then when you say building cars you're talking about like lifting the truck like we were yeah. just mentioning about you know trucks being lifted up and stuff yeah i guess when i say building i don't necessarily mean like from the ground up per se but like i've done a lot to my car i drive and i've got another mustang that's been sent down to my shop for about a year now and it's a 78 mach 2 and i bought it from a guy that lived up in troy and he had pulled the whole entire thing apart, and he was going to try and build a drag racing car out of it. Then he got sick and had to get rid of it right then and there. So I bought it from him, and every single component that goes under the hood or under the car, I've had to buy individually and put the whole car together. Hmm. So I enjoy doing stuff like that. It's neat. Yeah. And then um, has that been your interest throughout your life, like... um Kind of mechanical type of stuff? Yeah, I'd say mechanically. Cars, not as much. That kind of came later. But I've always had dirt bikes and stuff like that that we bought cheap ones off Craigslist. And then they'd break down. He had to fix them over and over and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I've always had bikes that I was working on and maintaining and stuff. And I've always enjoyed the maintenance part of it just as much as riding it. Hmm. My, um, This is just kind of by the way, but... You know, it's been cold. Like yesterday, uh, Thursday was really cold. I got out early in the morning and uh, was meeting someone up at Hillsboro for coffee. And I get out and get into my truck and I put it in reverse. And I hear this, like I go a couple feet and I hear this loud noise. I don't have reverse anymore. Oh, fun, fun. (laughs) And my forward gears are not right. Like they rev up real high before they'll shift. They'll eventually Hmm. shift, but it doesn't look good. Yeah, that's just not a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, one thing I was kind of curious about is from, you know, a young man's perspective about, you know, what you think about our culture. If um, it's something you give much thought to, like I, I probably didn't when I was your age, but um, I've, you know, I was just kind of looking at your Facebook page and seeing that you put... Um, you have a few memes up now and yeah. there, and they're they're kind of like a way to comment on culture in a yeah. way. So um, I know it's kind of broad, but you just have you have any thoughts about how you see our our culture? Uh, I I got all kinds of thoughts. I go on for a while about that, but uh, I think it's a mess for starters. I think how America is right now is kind of a mess. Like and how yeah. so? Well, as far as politics right now, they've got people 100% split sides. And I even remember when I was a kid, you know, I'd hear people talk about, you know, they were on the blue or with the red, you know, but it wasn't violent. Now Mm -hmm. it's at a point where it's actually becoming a source of violence. And I think 
with this election too, it's pushing everybody to think that, I'm trying to think how to put it, they can do and say whatever they want and call everything fraud. People don't want to believe there's an absolute truth to something anymore. Whether you win or lose, you win, that's great. You lose, well, you guys cheated. And I think it just made everybody kind of sore losers there. Hmm. Um, I've heard um, someone comment that you know the the violence, the taking up of arms, that comes. That's the next stage after. Um, well, that comes after communication breaks down. Like as long as there's communication, then that's a way to work and move forward. Um, but then, if there's no communication, if that's just not working, mm-hmm. which what's the alternative if you're um, trying to press your point or what you believe is right? And it seems like there's not an alternative I know of, you okay. know. But that seems to be a kind of a crisis, and just that we can't um, communicate and talk through things. Uh, kind of like you said. Um, um, like we, you know, there's not like objective truth. You have to kind of, you have to believe in objective truth that like there, that you can deal with it and search for it and find it um, in order to communicate. Otherwise, it's just a power play, um, just trying to get what you want, I guess. Or, But um, um, so, um, do you have any, any thoughts about that particular aspect of it, uh, communicating or even communicating with people who see differently than you? Do you Are you involved in that? Have any? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think a big reason we have this giant communication gap where people struggle to communicate, I think we can communicate but not in a way to actually accomplish anything. And I blame a lot of it on social media, really because you can say anything you want to anybody behind a screen mm-hmm. but then can't say it up to them but a lot of people you know, post stuff on Facebook it don't change nothing really no, it don't change anything because mm-hmm. it's only going to that select group of people you're already friends with if they didn't agree with you they wouldn't be friends with you so you're, you know, you're just speaking out to your own crowd but I think that's really really hurt our communications there because people are no longer talking to people of a different viewpoint. They're only talking to people of their own viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to get your point across to somebody that thinks the same thing as you. It's a lot harder, you know, the other way around to actually convince somebody. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's really taken a lot out of people's ability to have a debate. A mm-hmm. debate without being rude or violent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mainly because you're as people say, in an echo chamber, you're mm. just in a group who of like-minded people. Um, are you involved with any communication uh, with um, or conversations with people who are uh, opposed to you? Yeah, yeah, I have, and it usually goes over pretty well, but not yeah. always. But I do a lot of people. I mean, at my work, disagree with me pretty heavily. I'm around all these college students every day, and a lot of them have some very very out there opinions mm-hmm. but I, w- I disagree with most people I know as far as political things go oh really well, well a lot yeah is there anything in particular um, 
that is kind of different than, um, you know, your way of thinking different than what's kind of common in, in your circles? Well, the vast majority of people I know would consider themselves Republicans or right wing. I don't personally. I don't consider myself on the left either. But as far as 99% of issues, I side with libertarians on most things, as far as most social issues go. I guess if you had to put it specifically, it'd be a right-wing libertarian, because economically, I agree with Republicans, but on most social issues, I agree with the left more so. The left, okay. So when I think of libertarians, um, one issue that comes to mind is, um, you know, the war on drugs and so forth. Yeah. And I think I could kind of, um, so I'm, you know, I don't think I have the data to know what would be best, but I could, I could see the reason, uh, reasonableness of an argument for, um, you know, letting go of that the war on drugs because um, the intention is to, to help society, but it, it does cause problems as well as far as the yeah. black market and crime and so forth. And I don't know. And I question, how much does it really help society? How much does it really uh, curb drug use and abuse and so forth? Yeah. But um, another issue that I kind of thought of, like just as you were talking, is the abortion issue, Correct. which um, libertarians might, I don't know, do they typically um, go like uh, pro-choice for on the abortion issue? It's very divided. Okay. But... Me personally, I think, you know, obviously it should not be legal. I'm very morally against it. Yeah. But as far as the war on drugs deal, I do believe they should be legal. I believe if you use them and drive, you get a DUI. Mm-hmm. Because all the, if you look at other countries, a lot of South American ones too, once they legalize them, it spikes for about 10 years and it drops way, way, way off. And it's not as much the use that drops off, it's the deaths and uh, the DUIs from driving with under the influence. Mm-hmm. Because as people have to do less and less dangerous things to get a hold of them. And also, if it's legal, you can get treatments for it without going to jail. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So, I mean, really, and a lot of them, I won't say a lot, but like medicinal marijuana, I'm 100% behind, I think. It, there's nothing wrong with it personally. I think it should be regulated the same as alcohol. But uh, that's actually about it on it. But uh, yeah. Well, I think there's an argument to be said there. Um, and like I said, I don't know the data and statistics, but I've heard people mention um, alcohol in countries where um, that's less regulated. There's um, you grow up more accustomed to it, and um, you um, and then there's there's less of oh I'm 21 now I can go out and just yeah. drink all I want and yeah. and maybe um, it's almost like um, when you say no that drives the yes in us sometimes or uh, yeah. like if you restrict something that almost adds to its appeal you know so I think of it a lot like guns too you know people that grew up around guns mm-hmm. they never have a problem with them. But it's when you get people that have never had them, that's when all the accidents start happening. You know, the more people are around things, the more they know how to safely handle them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how would a libertarian and a 
conservative view be different in economics, um, like you said, you're kind of more a Republican, I guess, when it comes to economics. Is there a difference there between that and like just a libertarian view of economics? A little bit. More of a libertarian view comes closer, not necessarily to communism, but more of a share the wealth kind of thing on economics. And I fully believe in capitalism. So that's why I kind of go more towards the right wing on that. Huh. Well, that kind of surprises me because I would think libertarian would be more of just freewheeling um, capitalism or just, I mean, free market type of thing, like yeah. all restrictions off, just let it flow type of thing. So that's yeah. what I would picture libertarianism. But you're you're saying it's a little bit, it's not quite like that. It's more communal or social yeah. type of thing. Okay. Yeah. But at least all libertarians I've ever met, they were like that. They believe, you know, everything divided equally, you know, everybody pitching for everybody, which on paper sounds great, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't work because humans don't have... If everyone had good morals, it would work. Mm -hmm. But then when you throw the bad one in, then he's no longer contributing, and somebody else has to pick up his slack, but he's not getting paid more, and it just kind of spirals out. It also seems like it's a consolidate... It uh, consolidates power because mm-hmm. um, someone has to oversee all of that. So it kind of puts a certain small segment of society in a you know, very powerful position, too. Yeah. In order to have communism, you have to have a dictator. And if you don't, it doesn't work, which communism doesn't work anyway. It's never worked. But mm-hmm. they're, they're still trying. There's a lot of people pushing for it, but it ain't never going to happen. Not America, at least. You don't think we'd ever go that direction? Not anytime soon, because there's way too many super wealthy people. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think anytime soon. Mm-hmm. You have any thoughts about um, one of the things about capitalism? And I'm talking way out of my league, not because I don't have that much knowledge about any of this stuff, but um, it's just the idea of some corporations getting so huge. They're bigger than countries, you know, and yeah. their power and economic wealth, and it, it's and it, it almost seems like a new area of our of humanity where you don't just have the states that have to um, negotiate with one another and contend with one another, but you got these, you know, corporations and things. And um, do you have any thoughts about have those things or just the concerns that? might arise from you know things being structured like that now i think the big corporations could they are a problem they control all kinds of things there's like diagrams you can look up and see they take a thousand companies and they're really actually only about four companies and each company owns this giant sector of companies Mm -hmm. so it's that one parent company that's the big one and yes they have all kinds of control all over everything Mm-hmm. And they've got enough money to where they pretty much don't have government restriction anymore. They do. Mm-hmm. Like Jeff Bezos with Amazon, mm-hmm. he got caught paying off members of the Department of Defense. And I don't remember why I didn't look super into it. But if you've got enough power to where you're buying your way into the Department of Defense, it'd be a problem. And that's where it's not even really capitalism has gone off too far. It's just human greed went off too far. Because then there had to have been 20 people below the Department of Defense that he paid off to get to that level. Mm -hmm. So someone 
threw away their morals and all that and let him pay them off. So then he paid off the next guy. And eventually he'll hit somebody, hopefully, with some kind of morals. They'll say, no, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. But so far, no. So what needs to happen, do you think? I think everybody needs a little bit of Jesus. Okay. Because... (laughs) Right now, it's all so corrupt. They don't care. All they want is a little bit more money. And they're at a point where all these people up in the yard, they don't even know what to do with their money. They've got so much. You know, you got 15,000 houses. You can only go to, you know, 300 of them in a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, but it's just, it's a power statement to just say how much money you have and how much control you have. Well, do you think anything needs to happen structurally? as to like um, uh, keeping corporations from becoming so powerful? I think 50 years ago something needed to happen, but at this point it's way too late. Hmm. There's nothing that can be done anymore. I think they've kind of moved to that point where there's nothing that can stop all these corporations that are so far up. Hmm. I kind of have a negative view on America's future, if you can't tell. It's, it's not pretty. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, there's things concerning, like um, the rise of China is a concerning yep. type of thing, you know. Um, well, you mentioned Jesus, so let's go that direction. Sure. So you're involved in Christianity. Yes, sir. Um, so um, how did that start for you? Well, I've always gone to church ever since I was a kid. My parents always had me in church. And I think, so you're saying like me becoming a Christian, how that started? Um, I think even from a young age, I could tell that this wasn't it. There was more to everything that was going on. There had to be a higher power somewhere. Because I go with my gut feeling on everything. And I could always tell there's something else not in control of whatever's going on. So you go with your gut feeling on like everything, a lot of a lot of stuff, yeah. Okay. And your gut feeling was that you're you're a creature in other words and that there's a creator. Yeah. 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 And can you define that gut feeling at all or is it just just no. You just know. Okay. Yeah. I think also just hearing people I knew when I was a kid talking about the Big Bang and all that and stuff, and even from being like eight years old, being able to say, that don't even make any sense. What are you talking about? So, the, and, um, so and in what way does it not make sense? I don't understand how from a scientific perspective, you know, and even more so now after going through chemistry and physics classes and all that, you physically cannot have atoms and then have them appear. It has to structurally come from something. Right. Just And that's just at a basic building block level. There has to be something there originally. Right. And I think people who believe in the Big Bang, um, they would say, well, that's how the universe started. But I don't think, if you press them on it, I don't think yeah. they're saying that um, something came from nothing. I mean, sometimes they use that terminology, but... Um, there was sh- surely, just logically, there's some causal of something or another in yeah. place, you know. That so, um, so do you? Um, so you not do you not believe in the uh, Big Bang um, 
so there's a so there's two different things there's like the big bang as far as like something from nothing totally random um you know and then all this order and beauty or there's like you know uh god's uh somehow god burst on the scene you know burst creation on the scene at that point or something like that so do you just not see either way of of those views or um uh, or how do you see things there i see things pretty much as there was absolutely nothing and then there was everything okay i don't think there was the slow build up i think i mean everything is in over the 7 days but there was nothing and then the whole universe was there okay so you don't see um okay so you're not into you don't believe in the like the theory of evolution no. or a long earth or i think earth there's forms of evolution but not five or is it five billion or five million years I don't I mean, know. <laughs> a long long time i don't think that's okay. accurate no okay okay so i kind of interrupted you so go on um you had the you go by your gut feeling a lot, and you had the gut feeling that um, of God, of a creator, in other words. Yeah, I just, in my mind, I can't comprehend there not being, because I, I can't find a solution to there not being anything. There's, there's no other option. Okay. Okay, and then that led you in the direction of uh, yeah. the Christian view of God and the Bible and yeah, that, that type of kind thing. kind of was what kicked it off a bit. Okay. And then was there um, a particular time that it went from just theoretical knowledge to like a relationship with God? Or was that uh, a gradual thing? Or how was that for you? I think it was pretty gradual. There was never really one big defining moment, not really. There were lots like little moments here and there and it all just kind of built up to it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, what are you wanting in Christianity? Like, um, what's the, spiritually, what, you know, what's the thing that you're aiming for? What I'm aiming for? Um, I like having a security of knowing where my future's going, really, you know, know that if I was to be driving home today and died, I know what's going to happen, you know. It's not up in the air, you know. Like how a lot of people already say, what's going to happen when you die? They have no idea. They say, well, I don't know. Maybe I'll go to heaven. Maybe I'll go to hell. Maybe nothing happens. Mm -hmm. And I've had people that had other ideas, too, that are even more out there. But Yeah. So what's the main reason that you're involved with the Christian view of God and salvation rather than um, one of the other views out there? Well, it's the one that makes the most sense to me. And I say, since I believe that there is a higher power out there, then, you know, going with what the Bible says and all that, that all correlates to that higher power that I believe to be real. Okay. So, um, yeah, so the, the things that you, um, I've thought about that too, like, if you just go by observation, there's certain things that you can deduce, I guess is what you say, you know, from observe, you know, what God must be like, for example, yeah, he's benevolent, you yeah. know, food comes up from the earth, you know, yeah. he gives us air and sunshine. 
and there's, um, you know, and there's a few other things that I've thought about. Like, you can observe this, and it and it does correspond to the way God is described in the Bible too. Is you know what I've thought. Um. So, um, what um, what things have impacted your life? Any uh, particular um, books, people, experiences that, or anything like that that has shaped you and, uh, in um, a significant way? Yeah, there have been a lot of things that shaped me. I think a big one was going to school, like going out to Jeffco at a younger age and really early on getting to see what more of the world is like, really, you know. Because mm-hmm. even though Jeffco being a little school down in Hillsboro, there was some uh, some oddball people out there. I mean, it was it was neat. But I think that, and being able to start work in my field early, I think that has helped me a lot. It's helped get me to where I am today. I mean, I bought a house at 19 years old. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think being able to work full-time in a technical position helped me out a lot in that. And that really helped shape me to where I am now. I guess learned the value of hard work ever since I was a kid. Uh, we'd always out in the snow splitting firewood, you know. Dad shot a deer, had to get up and go out there at 8 o'clock at night and go help him bring it in and stuff like that. So I think I consider that one of my defining characteristics too is I like hard work. Hard work don't bother me. And I think that was one of the biggest things that shaped how I am now. As far as people, I mean, my parents obviously did a lot. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of friends that did back through high school, which they shaped me while I was in high school, but I don't think I see any of them anymore now, besides people from church. And then I had a few friends that got me into cars, and that has shaped me and unfortunately my bank account a lot. You know, it keeps me broke. Mm-hmm. But. There hasn't really been any people that were super, super influential on me. I mean, my parents were to a degree, but I kind of did my own thing a lot and just forged myself to be where I am. In what other ways have you gone with your gut? Well, as most things tie back to, I've bought a lot of different cars and trucks that I probably shouldn't have because I was like, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. I got a good gut feeling on this one. And, well, like, for instance, I've got my red truck, the 90 Sierra, and I had my 78K10 before, which was an actual mud truck. It was up on super swampers. It had, between wheels and lift, it had like 16 inches of lift off the ground. You had to jump to get into it. <laughs> but I was driving off-road, and I broke the frame on it, which then after you break a frame, you can never pass an inspection, so you'll never be street legal. I needed a truck to actually use as a truck, so I decided I was going to get rid of it. So I was going to go meet this kid up in Troy because he had the red truck and he said he wanted to just straight trade him. I said, okay, that's a great deal. He's got a run and driving truck. My truck runs but don't drive. Well, I actually drove it all the way up to Troy like that with a broken frame and a bad wheel bearing. It was blowing smoke everywhere. The whole hub of the wheel was actually glowing neon orange. It got wow. so hot. Wow. There was just smoke dumping out. I pulled in and he said, eh, yeah, we, we can fix that. That's okay. I'll, I'll still take it. So... I had the gut feeling that told me that this red truck was a good idea. And then five minutes down the road, 
everything shut off on it. It died. So it was one in the morning and I was stuck on the side of the road up in Troy. Hmm. So sometimes my gut feelings I shouldn't trust, but a lot of them did. I had a gut feeling about the house I bought. It's had no problems. We've had it for a year. Had a gut feeling about the car I drive every day. Gut feeling about the job I work now. You know, they usually leave me well, usually. (laughs) Sometimes not so much. Uh, I found out I should definitely not do stocks because uh, my gut feelings throw me all over the place on that. That's not Mm -hmm. going well at all. But I, I usually listen to that little voice in the back of my head on where to go with things and it usually works out pretty well mm-hmm. yeah um are you a reader have you enjoyed reading yeah yeah any um, particular books that have made an impact on you um the one i'm reading right now i'm actually really into it's called technological slavery and it's by theodore krasinski hmm. which a lot of people don't like to associate with that name it's a political book but Theodore Kaczynski was the uh, Unabomber. Okay. But, which, you know, terrible person, of course. You know, he killed three people. But a lot of his philosophy, as far as where you can deduce a lot about people just by how they act when they're around other people is kind of his whole deal. Hmm. That, and he's very, I agree with him a lot of political things because his whole deal was we were, because he did it all, mostly in the 80s. But humanity was at a point where it was so reliant upon technology that if technology disappeared, then humanity would be destroyed, per se. And he thought we were right on that brink, because essentially we were in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. But, and he had the right idea with the complete wrong execution. And he was saying we have to stop developing technology further. We don't need further technology all we're doing is making humanity more reliant on it. Now, he could have made protests, you know, lobbied for office, and, you know, moved up like that and actually tried to do something about it. Instead, he mailed bombs to people, which obviously extremely wrong, you know. Mm-hmm. But. So has that improved, um, like as far as being uh, dependent upon technology, or are we even worse now? I think we're much worse now. Okay. I think... Honestly, in America, if the entire internet went down, our complete, let's say an EMP or a nuclear bomb went off and took out every bit of technology we had, I think America as a whole would probably go down for a while. Mm-hmm. I think it would look like something out of Mad Max or something. It would be, it'd be rough. Have you done anything for, you know, to prepare for something like that? Like to prepare for like a doomsday event? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've put together a couple of go bags with all kinds of survival stuff in them. Um, bought a lot of guns, a lot of guns and ammo. Mm-hmm. Um, have a plate carrier, you know, the bulletproof plate, you know, all that. So basically, if everything, I'm prepared for a violent doomsday. If it's just kind of a mellow, everything disappears, uh, I'll probably just go live in a shack in the woods, mm-hmm. which personally I'd love to do now. You know, just go live out in the middle of the woods, you know. See people maybe once a year, you know, do have your own complete system set up where you're self-reliant. To me, that sounds great. Mm-hmm. But in today's day and age, that's kind of tough to set up. But yeah, I'd say I'm more prepared for a violent doomsday 
because when I started preparing for it, that's how it was looking with all the riots and the protests and all that. Mm-hmm. It was looking like things were going to go violent, so I prepared for a violent one. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like it's good to make some kind of preparations without um, going crazy over it. Um, yeah. I don't think, I think I should be better prepared. Um, so I've thought about some things like clean water, um, food, <clears throat> but um, it'd be pretty rough. Yeah, I think nobody can be fully prepared for mm-hmm. any of it because there, there's no way to know what's coming. Yeah. But yeah, that's pretty much my whole plan is pack everything up, get in the truck, drive way down south to the middle of the woods. And just live out there. Just anywhere down there in the middle of the woods? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Because if everything goes crazy, you know, nobody's going to be super concerned about all it. You just go find somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I know it's also kind of a fantasy idea to get to go live in the woods, you know, in a shack and just kind of have your own thing. But I think it'd be pretty neat. Hmm. Yeah, because then you grow, grow your own food, hunt animals for food. Got your own water, and you're good to go, and you just kind of do your thing. Yeah. Thank you. I don't have much experience hunting, but I want to. Um, this year, I'd like to harvest a deer. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to um, yeah, be able to clean a deer and do th- those things that go with yeah. it, you know. Yeah. Um, Well, you talked a little bit about what you were grateful for as far as the growing up years, being taught hard work and stuff like yeah. that. Is there anything you wish would have been different? Things I wish would have been different. Um, I think during high school, I would have liked to go to a public school, Marseille, to get more social interaction. Because it is tough being homeschooled and... If you live in town, it's different too. We lived in out in the country. I had one neighbor, mm-hmm. and he wasn't a great guy. But um, to be able to have a little more social interaction, because I think people in that age range do need. And I consider myself a very social person. I mean, I can talk to anybody anytime. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know strangers. Hmm. But it was tough being by yourself a lot of the time like that. I say, but I mean, I had my brothers and family and all that, but you know, mm-hmm. to be able to go out and really interact with groups of people. Yeah. So are, then are you more of an extrovert type of personality than an introvert? I am now. See, when I was a really younger kid, like probably 12, 13 or so, I didn't talk to anybody. I wanted to be completely by myself. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, as soon as I hit about 14 or 15, it 100% flipped around. Hmm. And... I just start talking to everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, um, here's another kind of uh, question about your life. Um, like some people, you know, that you th- they they have like something in particular they would think about if you'd say, you know, for you, what is the challenge of your life? Like, um, we all have certain problems to get over and this or that, but, um, I don't know for, for some people, I think for me, um, and maybe other people are like this, there's like 
Well, this one thing is the thing that, you know, has probably made me a better person, but it's like the main challenge. Is there anything that comes to mind for you that's been like that so far? A big challenge. You're saying like one that shaped who I was or like... Or just something um, in, enduring, something that's oh. a constant... Um, um, something that constantly affects your life? Um, well, I'm known to way overthink things in my head sometimes. And that's always been a problem. That's affected a lot of friendships I had. I'd always way, way overturn things in my head. And then all of a sudden, everything's blown completely out of proportion. And then who knows what's going on anymore. But that's probably been one of the bigger ones. Um, yeah. Just kind of like uh, ruminating on something yeah. and just keep, keep going over it. Yeah. Because if I don't have something to be doing, like actually be doing, then I'm just moving a million miles an hour in yeah. my head. Right. I can relate to that um, in a way that's not really productive. Yeah. Or it's just like sometimes thinking through things is productive. Sure. Sit down, work it out, come up with a solution. Sometimes it's just the wheels turning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But right. I usually try to make a point to keep myself pretty busy, which mm -hmm. is usually either going and working on some broken vehicle I have or going to work. Yeah. And that helps you. Um, so you can do that without, you know, be ruminating on those thoughts if you're exactly. busy doing something. huh? Yeah. Just if I can keep my hands busy, then I can keep my mind productive. Yeah. But. Huh. It's kind of interesting how different people have different ways to deal with that because I think it's a common thing. Yeah. Um, sometimes people talk about mindfulness meditation. Yeah. Like just um, being still, just thinking about your breathing or just being in the moment. And that's another way of um, dealing with that same thing, I think. Yeah. Like, I mean, if I'm, because like I can mentally tell if all some things are starting to go off the deep end a bit. Mm -hmm. I'll just go sit in my shop and get a coffee can of nuts and bowls and just sit there and sort them. Mm -hmm. I don't need them sorted. I don't even need them for anything, mm -hmm. but it keeps me busy. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I, um, I've gotten into the habit of taking cold showers. Oh yeah. Now that gets you in the moment real quick. Yeah, I bet it does. <laughs> I, I don't know if I could do that. Um, it's, um, there's like a procedure to work into it. It would be um, tough just to jump into the cold shower without, um, you know, working your way up to it. But, um, well, what do you find just really satisfying in life? Like when you're doing it, it's just everything feels great. Well, I feel like I answer the same thing on everything, but I think really working on cars and stuff, you know. Right. Like this old one I've got. There's nothing online about how to put it together. There's nothing. You just got to figure everything out yourself. So I'll sit there and try and figure out how to get something on for four hours. But all of a sudden when it clicks and it actually works for me. Yeah. I think one of the most satisfying feelings I know is when I've had a couple motorcycles that had to completely tear the motors apart and put them back together. Mm -hmm. And the first time you start it up after that and it actually works, mm -hmm. that's extremely gratifying. Because I've had ones where I've dumped 20, 30 hours into them, put them together, and they didn't start and do the whole thing over again. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you got in the back of your mind, you know, it's kind of a coin toss if it starts. But when it does, that's 
That's satisfying. That, um, I do a lot of buying and selling and trading and stuff like that. You when mean I, stocks and stuff? No, like uh, physical stuff, like buying cars and trucks and guns okay. and stuff. Yeah. And when you can find a real good deal on it and then turn it around, that one, that's a good deal. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Well, where, um, where would you like to be in, like, let's say, 10 years from now? 10 years from now. Um, I don't really know. I don't really ever thought about it. I guess 10 years from now, I'll probably be pretty close to the same spot I'm in now. I'll probably still be in the same house. Um, I'd like to have furthered where I'm at work-wise a little bit. You know, like, I like where I'm at now, but there's always room to move up to different areas and find stuff that I find. I find it interesting, but there's things I would find more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to be more involved in like church outreach things and all that. I used to do a bit of it, and then I just got too busy, and I just kind of stopped. But I'd like to go out and do, you know like street evangelizing and stuff like that. Go out, help homeless people. I know a lot of people are doing that. They'll go out and they'll just go buy a hundred blankets and they just go give them out to homeless people at night, you know, up in the city Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But I know they have a hard time getting people to do it because people don't want to go into downtown St. Louis or East St. Louis at night. Mm -hmm. But I think I'd enjoy doing that. Stuff like that. Yeah. I want to do more for my community, I guess. Yeah. There's a um, program. It used to be called Winter Patrol. Okay. And uh, it um, it took place at the, um, I forget what they call it, like a shelter that's downtown, the Life Evangelistic Center of, with um, Reverend Rice and all of that. And uh, people would donate blankets, and then they would, you know, donate food and supplies and stuff. And they would make a bunch of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and you'd go down there and you'd just load up your car with stuff and then you would go out on the streets and um they would they'd give you some hints or clues about well head down this way that way um when you headed out so you kind of knew where to look and you would get out of your vehicle and just holler uh, winter patrol and people were familiar with that and they would come to you and you would distribute things and and talk to people and um so it was a really satisfying thing. Uh, I remember being involved with it. A few people at our church were involved with it. And in one way, it didn't really make sense um, that it felt so good um, because there were shelters down there that people yeah. could go to. Um, and it's, it's like um, the homeless lifestyle. It's kind of like a lifestyle, like a way of life that a lot of people have learned how to... Um, to, to do you know and it's just uh, but um, just to be to, but still on Saturday afternoon when I was um, I remember being in the kitchen preparing hot chocolate preparing this um, there was just a lot of joy in, uh, in the activity so yeah. um, there's um, right now I don't think they have the um, group going out like it used to be a pretty big program right now I think the city doesn't let them operate out of their building as a shelter. But there is a fella, and he was on the podcast before. I can't think of his name right now. Um, 
I have his phone number and stuff. Um, but he um, he still goes out, and um, he likes to have someone with him. So me and the boys, we went out one time and um, or twice. And uh, yeah, so if anyone's listening and they're wanting to volunteer, uh, let me know and I can get you the number. And he would appreciate someone going out because he tries not to go out by himself. And um, it's a, it's an experience uh, climbing into warehouses and here and there where people are um, huddled together around a fire, you know, homeless oh, yeah. people and stuff. And, um, well, you're closer than I am to like growing up age and stuff like that. You know, in um, the church, um, what's helpful for older people um, to be doing uh, for younger people as far as like um, encouraging or relating with them? Or um, is there anything that, um, you know, people have done or you wish they would have done um, as you were, you, you know, as you were growing up that um, would be good for older people just to, to know about? Um, like you saying, just in church in specific? Um, in church or, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. It could be neighborhood um, um, or just communities in general, I think. I think just to involve younger people because the vast, vast majority of younger people want to be involved in stuff. They want to be a part of something. But it's hard for kids to approach older people and say, I want to be included in this. Hmm. But I think inclusion is just the biggest thing. Because, I mean, a lot of them say, no, I don't want to do that. But I think it would have helped me a little bit if I was included more in things. You know, I always kind of felt like I was a little bit outside of everything. But I also had different interests than a lot of people I grew up in grew up with so mm -hmm. but and a lot of it was personal choice too but I think just inclusion and just make them feel like they're a part of something yeah well cool um, I think it's been a real good conversation really helpful for for me and just good information and just good to talk with you anything else you want to to bring up or mention before we just kind of sign off. No, not really. Okay. Well, thanks for being a guest, Ben. Yeah, you bet.